tonight's lesson is going to be in Exodus chapter 13. And I titled the message today, Life After Deliverance. So if you guys remember, as we were going through Exodus, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for years and years and years. And eventually God used Moses to plead with Pharaoh to let the people go. you got to let them go. you got to let them go. And Pharaoh kept pardoning his heart. And he kept saying, I'm not going to let them go. You know, it's my way or the highway. And so eventually, uh, through all these plagues that God sent upon them, Pharaoh eventually let the people go. And so Exodus 13 is right after the Israelites are now free from Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land of Canaan. And God gives them instructions on how to live after this deliverance. And so I'll think about our own life today. Think about the most horrific experience you guys have ever gone through. Each of us have gone through some pretty terrible things in our life, some more extreme than others. But think about that event for a moment. You can write it down if you have a notepad or, the, or your papers I gave you. Write down the most horrific experience you had just in one or two words. I want you guys to think about that. And then I want you guys, if you can, afterwards, to think about how you felt when you overcame that. Whether it was an illness, whether it was a, a bad breakup you guys had, or whether it was something that happened at school. You know, in the moment, it was really, really bad. I want you guys to think about how you felt immediately afterwards, after it was over, after you finally came out of that, after God brought you through that. I want you guys to think about the feeling you had after that dramatic event was over. Um, and what I think about is one of the most dramatic ones we can think about in our life is something like cancer or a big disease. You know, somebody may battle something like that for quite a long time. Probably all of us know somebody in our lives that have dealt with cancer. I know my sister has, and there's other people in my family that have dealt with something like that. And when you're going through that, it can seem very dark and, and, and a tough moment. And it can, it can almost feel hopeless in a sense if you don't have your hope in Christ. And in that moment, you know, as you start getting better and you start recovering, you start seeing that light in the tunnel. And then eventually when someone says, hey, you're cancer free, you know, you beat this disease, you've come out of this illness. There's a sense of relief, there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of happiness, and there's just a kind of a sense of an unknown, like, okay, well, what's next for me? What do I do now? And so I want you guys to think about that in your own life and those around you, and then think about the Israelites. The Israelites have been in slavery for their entire lives, most of people have. And all of a sudden, they're free. And now they're living a life totally free from slavery, worshiping and honoring God and with his guidance and his direction. So think about the moment they would feel this joy, this relief, this comfort, this happiness, but also this sense of, okay, what's next? All we've ever known was slavery in Egypt. All we've ever known was this bondage. So now how do we act? What, what's next for us? And as, we, if we, as we've gone through the Christmas season now, many times as Christians, the Christmas season and the Easter season are like our two biggest moments of the year. You know, that's when everybody, even their non-Christians, acknowledge that there's something more going on. There's a sense of joy and happiness and a hope that's out there. And a lot of times, people that don't come to church very often, they come on Easter and on Christmas. So it's a pretty exciting time for Christians and as a church family. But then after Christmas is over, it can be easy to kind of get in this lull. Like, well, now we're just back to the same old, same old. The same people that, are came, that came before Christmas are now coming afterwards, and those newcomers, sometimes they don't always hang around. And it can kind of be a time where we're like, what's next for us? 
What do we do now until Easter comes? So I want to encourage us uh, tonight, as we go through Exodus 13, is in the seasons of life where you don't have that dramatic excitement or that joy, that happiness, there's kind of a what's next phase, you kind of wait to see that next big moment, here's some, here's some important instructions on how to live their life and what to do. So in Exodus 13, in verses 1 through 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first, to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So I want you guys to catch in your outlines here. The first point is, God wants to be our first priority and for us to give him our best. God wants to be our first priority and for us to give him our best. You know, God's first instruction to the Israelites after being freed from slavery is to give me all the firstborn of man and beast. All those that are born are going to be given to me. And a lot of times back in this culture, the firstborn child was kind of a prized child. Okay, the firstborn son was the next in line to take over the family uh, when his father passed. And so the firstborn child had a lot of honor back then. And so God is saying, well, this is the best, this is the, you know, your most prized possession or your prized family member. You have to give, you need to give them to me. And so there's a lesson here for us in our lives today. You know, as we go about our Christian life, we can sometimes forget to put God first. And we can stop giving Him our best. You know, we go through Christmas and we prepare and we plan for weeks of, you know, somebody coming in, it's a newcomer, we're going to preach this awesome message, we're going to have, you know, candlelights, we're going to have snacks and goodies and uh, Christmas lunch, all these kind of things which are great. But then, once Christmas is over, sometimes we neglect to give Him our best and we kind of get in this lull. So God is telling the people, although I brought you out of this, and you're now in a new season of your life, don't forget to put me first. And don't forget to give me your best. Because if you give me anything less than your best, then you're not really appreciating what I did for you, and you're not respecting and honoring me in the way I deserve. And so as we go into this new year, this is something I want us to be striving for. Do we give, do we give everything to God and give him the best we can offer? Sometimes all the mess life throws at us, it can be very easy to lose sight of the one who gave us that life in the first place. And because of this, we neglect to look at him and put him as our first priority. I want you guys to think about this today. You know, as we go about the new year, as you're setting goals and things like that, one of the best goals you can set for the new year is to reprioritize God in your life. You know, many of us have been Christians for years and years, and when we first became a Christian at a youth camp, or when we were younger, even as, as an adult, we were on fire for Christ. We were reading our Bibles, we were praying, we were going to events, we were coming to church regularly. We were excited to, to find out what's next, you know, and learn more about God and His plan for our life. But as time went on, we stopped reading our Bible as much, we stopped going to church as often, and we stopped, we stopped doing the things that God called us to do. And because of that, we became more and more distant from God. And it wasn't because God got distant from us. It's because we started pulling away from him. And this is a great reminder to put that, your priority on God. To give him your best once again. Because it's not enough just to give God your best for a season in your life or for a month or for a year. 
when you give your life to Christ, it's saying, I'm going to give my life my best each and every day. It's, yes, I'm going to struggle sometimes because we're imperfect humans, but I'm going to constantly try to give God my best because that's what he deserves, and that's what he's calling me to do. And so one way to do that is I want you guys to think about, you know, especially some of our youth, because I know I struggled when I was your guys' age, uh, about valuing church again. You know, being in church on Wednesdays and on Sundays, you know, valuing being here because it's important. You know, sometimes you're not always going to have a, a cool Christmas lunch or you're not going to have a, a special event going on and things like that at church, but it's still important to be here. Because every time we're at church, we're learning more about God, what His Word says, and, and God can speak to you in an individual way every time you're here and even in your own life. And then when you're not in church, you know, value reading your Bible, value growing in your faith. A lot of Christians, you know, they see their Christian life and their walk with God as a Wednesday and Sunday kind of relationship. Is on Wednesdays and Sundays, you know, I may start coming some there, or maybe I'll start coming regularly on Wednesdays and Sundays, but the rest of the week is kind of my time. You know, I'll, I'll give God a few hours on Wednesday and a few hours on Sunday when the rest of the week is, is Bradley's time. But that's not what God's calling us to. He's calling us to give him our whole life. And that means during the week, we're also looking for his guidance and his direction. During our school life, during our work life, in our home life, we're living the same way we would live on Sunday morning. You know, a lot of Christians will come in on Sunday morning and they'll act like the best person in the world, and they'll be really nice and friendly. But you'll see that person, you know, in traffic on Monday morning, and they're beeping their horns, or flipping people off, and things like that. And people, people recognize that. People that are non-Christians recognize that. And if we're living differently during the week than we live on Sundays, People will see that as a reflection on, on, on how God is and how Christianity is as a whole, and they're not going to want to be a part of that. It also may mean that we have to give God our best means that we need to be in our best self. What I mean by that is if, we, if we're too tired to come to church, or we're too tired to do mission work, or we're too tired to do the things that God's calling us to, then we have to evaluate our lives and say, why am I too tired? What am I putting above God? What am I prioritizing more than Him to where I'm saying, God, I'm sorry, my plate's too full. I just can't put you in this week. Or I can't put you in today. You know, if you think about this uh, it, it, as an analogy, you know, all of us love desserts. You know, we love the brownies and the, and the pecan pies and stuff like that on Christmas. You know, I know I do, especially. I got to cut back as well. Uh, but if you, if you guys are eating desserts, they're good in the moment. But they don't nourish you long term. And so if you fill your plate with all desserts and you leave off the meat and the vegetables, and that's all you're eating every single day, then eventually you're going to start to be sluggish, you're going to be tired, you're not going to be the best person you can be, and you start to not be the best version of yourself. But if you instead fill your plate with things that are good and are nourishable to you, in the moment, yeah, you may miss out on some of that instant happiness you'll get by eating that pecan pie, but in the long run, You'll be healthier, happier, you'll feel like doing more things, and you'll be the best version you can possibly be of yourself. And what that means in our Christian life is that if we're filling our plates with sports and activities and extracurriculars and TV shows and things like that, those things aren't bad. But if our, if our plate is full of those things, or it has no room for you know, study time with God or prayer time or doing things that God's calling me to do, then in the moment it may be happy and enjoyable for you, but over time, you're going to start to become more and more distant from God. You're going to realize that stuff doesn't fill you up. 
and your cup's going to actually leave empty. And so I encourage us this morning to evaluate what does our life plate look like? What are we filling our weeks with? You know, on a daily basis and on a weekly basis, what do we fill our plates with? Is it all full of things that in the end really don't matter? Or is it full of things that do have an eternal impact because it's something that honors and glorifies God? And if it's the first thing, then again, the new year, our first resolution should be reprioritizing God again. Making sure that meeting the vegetables of things that God's calling us to do are back on our plate again. We push some of those desserts to the side. We, we may have to reshuffle our priorities to make sure each day is given to God and he is the one we're living to please. And the next thing you'll see in your outline here is the next thing God calls them to do as they're now coming to this new season of life is to remember what the Lord has done for you. Remember what the Lord has done for you. I want you guys to think about this. If you just came out of a really awesome experience, then the next day or two may not seem as awesome. And it can be easy to say, well, God's not really doing anything great anymore. Or I came on on Sunday morning and I didn't feel this extra, you know, spiritual level. Well, God's still moving and God is still working, even in the mundane. Even in the times that we don't see him working or moving, he's still working, he's still moving. And if we glorify and honor him in those times, then when the really great times come, we'll appreciate him more, we'll be ready for him, and we'll fulfill the plan he has for us. And so I want you guys to listen to what it says in Exodus 13 here. This is what God tells the people to do. It says that Moses said to the people, this is starting in verse 3, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No living bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you were going out. And when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing of milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt that I do this. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. And then in verse 11 it says this, When the Lord brings you to the land of Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. So he's saying there, reminding them once again that when you get into this land, to give him your best and to prioritize him as the first thing in your life. But he's also saying, don't forget the things I've done in the past. And that's why God calls them to remember this time by, by um, continually repeating month after month this ritual, just reminding them of what God had done for them, bringing them out of Egypt. And if you think about this, God goes a little bit further here. He even tells them, or yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, he even tells them after this that I want you guys to also teach your children this. When your children grow up and they become of age where they're wondering why you're doing these things and why you're eating this unleavened bread and things like this, tell them the reason you do this year after year is because of what the Lord has done for you and because of what he did for you, they have a life now in the promised land. They have a life in a land full of milk and honey, and they're not in bondage and not in slavery. 
So why is this important to us today? It's because life is always going to get challenging. Life is going to get hard. And if you think about the Israelites, they're about to go in the wilderness for 40 years. It's not going to be a very fun experience for them until they get to the promised land. So God is, call, is telling them that when you go through times that aren't as fun, aren't as joyful, and maybe things that don't necessarily go as you had planned, remember the things I've done in the past, and it will encourage you that I can do these again in the future. And that I'm still working, I'm still moving. And here's, here's one thing I do in my life, and I need to do it more often, and it's really helped me. Um, during, during the week, you know, if I see God do something really good in my life, like maybe... You know, God used me to share the gospel with somebody. Or maybe, you know, I was going through something and, and God gave me the answers when I really needed them. Instead of just saying, well, thank you, God, I appreciate that, and then moving about your day, most times when you do that, you're probably going to forget about it. So instead of doing that, I actually have a little part on my phone, it's the notes section, and I'll write down in a note, you know, on so-and-so day, I saw God do this. Or on so-and-so day, you know, God gave me the answers to the prayer I was looking for for a while. And, and, and the reason I do that is because, just like any of you guys, I have days where, you know, things aren't going right, and, you know, I'm looking for answers, and I'm like, God, why are you, why are you not moving the way I want you to, or as quickly as I want you to? And on those days, I can go back to my phone and scroll through my notes section and say, well, look at all the times that God worked. Look at all the things that God did for me. If I'm just patient, he'll do it again. If I'm just patient and, and, and follow his plan, it's going to work together for my good in the, in, in the end. Maybe I'm not seeing it right now, but I just keep trusting, I keep following him, it's going to work out for my good. So I'd encourage you guys, if, you, if you're not doing that, if it's a notepad, if it's in your phone or an iPad or whatever, during the week, when you see God do something good, write it down. Write it down in a place where you can go back and look at it. And I would encourage you guys just each week, you know, take a day out of the week, or if you want to do it daily, you can, and spend a few minutes just to go back and read through some of those. And, and you'll be amazed at how that lifts your spirits up. And it reminds you of who God is, what he's done for you, and what he's going to do again in the future. And when you're having a tough day, I promise you it makes a big difference. And um, one thing I thought about with this is, um, is in a marriage. And, uh, and if you think about a marriage, when you first get married, and I know a lot of you guys are not there yet, uh, when you first get married, um, there's an excitement that comes immediately after. You know, you're, you're finally living life together, you're breaking off from mom and dad, and you go through the honeymoon phase and all that, and it's, it's, it's a great time, okay? You have a lot of fun together. But then, a few months after that, life starts hitting in a little bit harder. Now you got bills to pay, uh, you, you realize all the things that, how much it costs to live with food and water and, 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 and electricity and all this kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden, you know, that beautiful roll, roll off into the sunset kind of mindset begins to be like, I don't know, this is going to be a little tougher than I thought. This is going to be a little challenging. And just like any couple being Gracie have had her own struggles with that. It's kind of a fun time in, in a sense to go through that, but it also is, is challenging. And in those moments, you know, when you're talking about bills or something that's not as fun and as happy and as enjoyable, it can be easy to forget you know, the good things about that person, especially if you, don't, if you disagree on something. You know, if you, if you think that this should be put up a certain way and they should be put, and they think, she thinks they should be put a different way, you know, it could cause some conflicts, and that's a real mild example. But, um, but if, if that's the case, in those moments, um, 
it can be easy to forget, you know, why you married that person and all the good things about that person and, you know, that happy moment you had when you were first married and the excitement you had and, you know, the joy you had of wanting to spend your life with that person. And so what I've also done on my phone as well, and if you guys are married, I encourage you guys to do this, is I have another little note section on my phone of just things that me and Gracie have done or things that she's done that, that made me happy and things that I love about her. And so I write down things that you know, I really appreciate about Gracie and you know, different moments we experienced together. I write those down, you know, and, and then when days get tough and days get challenging and you know, we don't always feel like being lovey-dovey because we're disagreeing about something or, you know, she has her opinion and I have my opinion. I can go back and look at my phone and remember all the, all the reasons why I married her, all the reasons why I love her, and it puts you back in a better mood. And then it helps you dissolve that argument and go on, you know, and come to a better place. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you... <laughs> you got to do that, Hardy? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and, um... So I'd encourage you guys, you know, if you're married, it's a good idea to do that. But for all of us, it's a good idea to do with God because, you know, it's easy to get mad and upset at God when things aren't going the way we want to or when we think, you know, our, our, our life should go this way and God say, no, we got to slow down and go this way instead. In those moments, if you have that notebook to go back on and look through and to read and to study and to pray through, it helps put your mindset back in the right place and encourages you to push forward. Um, also, I, I'd encourage you guys to go back and read the Old Testament and then the New Testament and see how God's goodness is carried over generations, even when the people didn't see it in the moment. If you go back through the Bible, a lot of people will say the Old Testament's kind of outdated. There's some valuable things in the Old Testament. That's why we're going through it here on Wednesday nights. You can see how God's goodness carried over generations and generations and generations. And the same is true in your life. Talk to your parents about the things that they went through and how God used them in their life. Talk to your grandparents. You'll be amazed to see how God has worked in generation after generation and generation. And in each generation, people think, well, I can't do this. Well, God's not working. God's not moving. And every time he shows back up again. And every time he gives them a direction, he gives them a plan and he comforts them. And then they go back and, they, and, they, and his plan moves forward. So you can see that throughout the Bible. If you go back and read the Old Testament, read these stories and then compare it with the New Testament and see how God continued to move even when Jesus came and beyond. And then talk to your family as well. And last, I want you guys to, to write down here tonight is God may not always lead you down the easiest path. And we're going to read verses 17 through 22 to see that here. And in verses 17 through 22, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. But you guys have to catch that in verse 17. So they just got freed from Egypt, and God is directing the Israelites on where to go to go to the promised land. The easiest path is by the land of the Philistines, so you would, or the Philistines. So you would think... Well, that's where God would lead us. But instead, God says, don't go the quick way. Don't go the way you think you should go. Instead, you're going to go all the way around this way. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, what in the world are we doing? You know, why would we do that? I want you guys to continue to, to, to listen to what it says here. It says, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around 
by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt and quitted for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. Um, and then it says, And they moved on from Succoth and encamped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from, from before the people. Why is this important? The reason God didn't let them go the easy route, the route that would have took them quickly to the land of Canaan, and they had to go all the way around the wilderness, and they end up staying for 40 years because they disobeyed him, was because if they would have went the easy route in the land of the Philistines, that's where the Egyptian army actually encamped. That's where they would hide out or they would sleep or they would spend time in. And he knew if the Israelites went that way, a war would break out because the Egyptians would see them escaping and they would, they would immediately bring up arms and, and attack the people. And he knew that if that happened, the people would probably doubt God because their faith wasn't super strong in him at this point, as you'll see in the wilderness. And they would probably say, forget this, we'll just go back to slavery in Egypt. And they wouldn't fulfill the plan that God had for them. And so I want you guys to think about in your life today, sometimes God's saying no to the easy way or the easy path, not because he doesn't love you. It's because he knows if you go down the easy path or if you go down this direction in life, although it may seem easier to get to point A to point B, what you're going to go through, you're not ready for yet. And you need to go through the wilderness to build up your faith, to build up your relationship with God, so when you eventually approach battle, when you eventually approach that tough situation, you'll be equipped to handle it. And see, what happened was, during the years of the wilderness, God was constantly challenging them and growing their faith, building them up. And eventually Aaron and um, Joshua and some of these men stepped up and had this tremendous faith in God. And they were like, you know, God, we're ready to do anything you want us to do. And when that happened, then God let them go into the land of Canaan. And what happened when they went to the land of Canaan? They immediately had battle. But instead of running away, they approached it confidently, saying, well, you know what? No matter who comes in, it's God's with us. We're going to win this thing. And they easily took over the Canaanites, and they, they inhabited the land. Think about the difference there in that moment to when they first got freed from slavery. Had they immediately gone into a battle situation, they probably would not have been ready for that, and they would have crumbled and, fall, and fallen, and they would have never got to the promised land. So I want you guys to think about in your life today, you know, what you're going through may seem unfair. It may seem challenging. You may see other people being successful and doing things that you wish you could do. But God may be saying, I'm just going to approach you in the wilderness for a little bit longer and grow you. So eventually, when I, when I bring you out into the land that I'm promising you, when I give you this opportunity, you're going to be ready for it. You're not going to, you're not going to stumble and fall. And you're going to be very successful and prosper. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. And in addition to that, I also want you guys to think about this. You know, the danger and the life that would have probably been lost had they gone that route instead of the route of the wilderness. In our life today, sometimes God will take us down a path that maybe seems, you know, kind of crazy to us. And we're like, well, God, why, why can't you just give me this now? You know, I want this position. Or I want to be in this 
this, this leadership position, or I want, I want this in my life, or God, why can't I just take this person or do this or do this? And in our minds, it seems like, well, I'm God, I'm ready, I'm equipped, I can do this. But in addition to maybe not being ready, sometimes it's because God can see the end result. And he knows if you take that position now, and the kind of boss you're going to have, or the kind of environment you're about to be thrown into. And he knows that if you go into that, yeah, maybe he's fine for a little while, you're going to get really hurt by that. And you're going to have some scars that are left afterwards that are going to be hard to deal with. And he knows that sometimes you're that perfect person that you think that I should date and I should be with, and I don't know why God is not letting this happen. Maybe because although they seem great right now, God can see the end result down in the future, and he knows that, that person is going to do something really hurtful to you. And that's going to mess you up for relationships down the road. And, and what I think about is, if you think about football, I've told somebody I used this before, you know, you have the press box that sits above the stadium. And most of the coaches that are calling the plays are sitting in that press box. And the reason they're sitting in the press box and they're not on the field is because in the press box, you can see the entire playing field. Whereas when you're on the field, you can only see a short bit of what's right in front of you. And so when the players are on the field and they're lining up, they may look at the defense and say, well, coach, we should run this play. You know, it looks like this is clearly wide open. We should do this. But what they can't see that the coach can see up top is that the, the opposing team called a blitz. And there's a safety that the quarterback can't see that's about to come right in that same direction. So if they run that play that they think is wide open, they're going to get slammed. And something bad is really going to happen. And so they call an audible. The same thing is true in our lives today. You know, God can see the bigger picture. So although we look at our lives and say, well, God, I, I need this, 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 or I should, I should be in this position, or God, you should, you should give me this in my life. And we think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But God can see the bigger picture. He can see that blitz in safety. And he knows if we go down that path right now, we're going to get really hurt. And we're going to be left on our backs and saying, well, God, why, why did this happen to me? And so I want you guys to think about that as we approach this new year. You know, keep God first in our life. Remember what God's done for you. But also remember, as you start to follow God, as you start to do things for Him, He may not always lead you down the easiest path. And that's okay. Because the path He leads you down, if you follow Him and trust Him in that, will be the path of the most success, the path that honors Him the most, and the path that eventually you'll see His blessings like never before. And so as we go through this new year, I want us to just think about the life that we're living now. You know, think about our priorities. Is he number one in our life? Are we giving God our best? Are we too tired to do the things he's calling us to do because our plate's full of other stuff? And if so, let's get our priorities back in the right place. And in addition to that, as we start to move for God, remember what he's done for us. And remember that just because we believe something should happen right now, it may not happen until God's time because his timing is better than ours, and he can see the end result. And if we follow and trust in him, he'll lead us to victory, and we'll eventually get in the promised land. So let me pray for us here. Doyle, thank you so much just for showing us in your word, in Exodus chapter 13, that sometimes life is going to be challenging, and things aren't going to go the way that we think they should go. We see a, a path that we want for our lives, and it seems like an easy path, the one that, that it seems like the best for us. But you say, no, we need to go to the wilderness instead. And I ask in those moments, we don't get discouraged. We don't get mad at you. We remember what you've done for us. We remember that your plan is for good. And that you want to prosper us and give us a hope in the future if we trust in you. And God, I ask that we do that in those moments. And that we have joy in the wilderness. 
knowing that when we do that, we trust in you, you'll eventually give us the promised land. And God, I ask that we just glorify and honor you and all we say thing and do in this new year. Uh, God, let us grow closer to you, closer as a church family, and let people on the outside when they see us to see you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.